Father's heart in three aspects. Um, since the first of the year, and the first one is is our Father's heart of love. And our main text has been Matthew twenty two thirty four to forty, and it says, "But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So they thought they were going to trip up God." <laughs> Isn't that strange? Now, you know, they're not thinking he's God, but they're going to test him. But it's like, you're going to test Jesus. And this is in Matthew 22, so like he's already done great things already. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so I want to encourage you with this. You and I were created on purpose to be loved by God. Selah. That's a Selah moment. Think about this for a moment. Our greatest purpose in life is to be loved by God, is to let God love us. It's it's not anything else. Because when you know that God loves you, nothing else matters. And everything else falls into place. It's not until we know that we're loved by God that we can love Him in return. And then take another step forward and love others like he's loved us. Amen? And I don't know why I didn't bring this in before, but I'm just rem- I was reminded this week, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. I mean, think about that. Think about even all the people who don't know Jesus yet, who haven't placed their trust in him, they still have the ability to love because God loved them first. Now, they may not acknowledge God's love or understand His love, but He loves them. And everything flows out of that from our Father's heart. So the next part is our Father's heart in prayer. It's His invitation to us to involve Him, to invite Him into our lives and the messes that we have made. And if you weren't here and if you've forgotten even the messes that we make from the sins that we commit, he is still willing to come and get involved in that. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason not to allow him to be involved or not to invite him to be involved in our lives. In our Father's heart in the church, in the church is God's idea, it's not man's idea. And he wasn't afraid to create the church any more than he was to create humanity. Our humanity, all of our sins and faults and failures, all of the stuff that comes with us. He wasn't afraid of us. He's not afraid of the church. And not only that, he's not afraid of filling us with his spirit. He's not afraid of filling the church with his spirit. With all of humanity's problems and hang-ups and sin issues, God still chose to create us, and the same is true for the church. And um, if you haven't figured this out, 
the church has to have problems. There's no way that a church cannot have problems. Because the church, after all, is what? Made up of people who have problems. It's made up of fallen, sinful people who have been saved by the grace of God. And so, because things happen, that doesn't mean that we need to forsake the church. We shouldn't forsake the church. In families, there's hurts that take place. But you know what? You learn to figure out how to get over those, or at least that's what the family is intended to do. Church is the same way. There are plenty of people that have been hurt by the church. But we have to learn how to get over that and still maintain that family relationship. And so if God isn't afraid and he hasn't forsaken the church with all its messed up things, then we as his people can't forsake the church because he's the author and the establisher of the church. And uh, I'm reminded of John 13, 34 and 35, and it says, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, if you forsake the church, it's hard to love one another, isn't it? If you're not meeting with people, it's hard to love somebody. And, you know, I know that there's times when we need to take a break and we need to chill for a moment, but it can't be a lifetime. There are people who have made it a lifetime. They've had issues because of the church and they've made it a lifetime of an excuse not to be part of it, and it's not right. Yeah. And then he says in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And isn't it amazing that this is one of the signs that we belong to God, that we have learned his ways, that we have come to a place where we have learned to love one another, even with all of our fallen humanity and, and all the problems that we have. And again, I want to challenge us that not just this church, but every church, we need to let the world see this. They need to see us loving one another, which means that we have to love one another. Because in the world right now, we're not loving one another. If you disagree with somebody, what happens? They write you off. They, they start, yeah, they cancel you. They, they start, you know, trying to come against you and there's no reasoning in the church or in the world anymore. It's either this way or no way. And, you know, the, the world tries to bully you into their way of thinking. And if you don't agree, they just keep amping all the bully up. And so it's important that we as a church figure out how to love one another so that the world can see that it is possible. This morning we're going to look at the body of Christ because Paul, Paul speaks of the church as the body of Christ and the three aspects of that, his physical body, the universal or big 
body of Christ, which is made up of the universal church, but the local church, which means us as well. Us as individuals that make up this church, but this church is part of the universal church of the body of Christ. And then we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That means you and I. Amen? And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And this is what I want us to see. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so, the church is his body, and he is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 3. He says, Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, if I say one body, we have many members. Say many members. Now, how simple can it be? One body, many members. And then he says this, and the members do not all have the same function. Aren't you glad about that? I'll talk about this in just a second, but it's important that we see this because he talks about it again in 1 Corinthians that we're going to turn to. He says, verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In other words, when anybody gives their life to Christ, then we become part of their family, they become part of our family, we're part of their body, they become part of our body. That's just the way it is. There's no escaping that. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ. Isn't that awesome? So I want you to know you have permission to be different. Okay? Because he says having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
And then he lists a few. He doesn't list them all, but he lists, lists a few. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. Okay? That means that in prophecy, if we do it according to our portion of our faith, then guess what? That means we're going to have different kinds of prophecy because we have different levels of maturity. Right? We have service. But if we do it according to how we serve, then all of us are going to serve differently. Right? It's okay as long as you're serving. Teaching. You know, everybody teaches differently. It's okay. Verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I'm glad he said that because, you know, some people try to be merciful, but they're so mean and mad when they're trying to be merciful. It's like, you should just not even try. But this is... So we all have different functions. It's okay. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about the conference that we had and, and what a tremendous job you guys did with the conference because things got done without ever having to say it because people served. And they served in their capacity. And it was so awesome to see it. Diane and I would comment it. Every day we commented about how you guys took care of things. It was amazing. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to park here, so it'll be fine if you turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ah, you ready? And remember, this is God's idea. He's the one that came up with this plan. I'm, I'm not sure which is harder to explain the church or to explain the Trinity. All right, we're going to give it a shot. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Remember, this is God's idea. For just as the body is one and has many members, so we have one body again, right? And we have many members. And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, if I say one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Say one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So it doesn't matter what our backgrounds are like. It doesn't matter where we've come from, what we've done, what we haven't done, how we've missed it, how we haven't missed it. There's a level playing field for all of us. There's an identity for all of us now. Once we give our life to Christ, and that is, is we belong as one to one body, the body of Christ. But that body is made up of many members. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, everybody say, as it is, God. He always has to meddle in the church, doesn't he? It's his idea. He ought to be able to do with it as he pleases, right? And this is what it says. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them, as he chose. So what is our responsibility? Just be faithful to who he's called us to be. Don't try to be more. Don't try to be less. Just be you. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We'll pause there for a second, but not only do we have to deal with all of our humanity, my humanity, your humanity in the church, and not only do we have to learn how to get along, But we have to do this when we have different levels of maturity, different backgrounds that we come from, and all the baggage and issues that come with that. But nonetheless, God still asks us and demands of us that we get along and that we learn to love one another. How awesome is that? We, as the church... When we learn to love one another, then the world will take notice of who we are. We have different opinions that come from different perspectives, and that's okay. We can still get along and have different opinions. And you can have a different opinion and be right. (laughs) Now, I've shared this illustration before. I'm going to share it again. My kids know this, but Diana has had to teach me this and then to cause me to remember it on a regular basis. But here it is. She started looking at me and she said, five plus two is seven. I said, exactly. And she said, four plus three is seven. I said, exactly. Six plus one is seven. Seven plus zero is seven. Am I wrong? I'm right. But look at how many different ways I've given it to you. And that's just with addition. 10 minus 3 is 7. 
You thought we were just going to add. And then we have to throw that curveball in. All of those are right. Seven is the key here. Not how we get there, but seven. And we will all come to seven from different perspectives. And it's okay, and everybody's right. But the reason she would say that is because in my mind, it had to be a certain way. It had to be five plus two one day. And then the next day, it had to be four plus three. And then it's confusing. But the bottom line is, it's not about how we get there. It's about seven. And you can use this with any number. But she just happened to pick seven because that's her birthday. And she likes that number. So I'm saying we don't all have to look alike. We don't have to speak alike. We don't even have to think alike. We can get to seven in different ways. And it's okay. We all see things from a different perspective. And we need to celebrate that difference in all of us. In each other. Otherwise we start trying to be like what Paul said we shouldn't be. We have to be an ear, or we all have to be an eye, or, you know, that's not what God has called us to. And even if we have the same giftings, we have the same likings, we can like things differently. I love to watch people eat. Because it fascinates me, because I eat in a certain manner. The last thing that I put in my mouth is the thing that I like the most. Because I want to remember that. I'll eat the other stuff, but what I like the most will be the last bite that I take. And then I watch other people and they eat what they like the best first. And my mind doesn't go there because I'm thinking, now what do you have left? The worst. (laughs) No, I'm not. You don't necessarily. But it's okay if you do that. And some of you, some people mix their food. And some people cringe when people mix their food. They can't even touch it on the plate. Now, you people who can't let it touch everything on the plate, you need prayer. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you haven't figured this out, it's all going to go to the same place. Eventually. It's okay if you do. (laughs) See, she was shaking her head when I was saying all this. I knew that (laughs) she would say something. But that, see, that's, and it's okay. But I'm just saying I love to watch people eat because to me it's fascinating because it shows how we think. And it's okay. You know, when we were growing up, when we had mashed potatoes and corn, well, I never knew that you could eat mashed potatoes and corn separately. We always put our corn on top of our mashed potatoes. I mean, I didn't know you ate it a different way. And one more thing, and then we'll get off this. Pancakes. I didn't know you ate pancakes without fried eggs 
on top of them. Runny eggs, too, because what's the sense of having a fried egg if the yolk is cooked? And I remember the first time that I cooked them and, and made them with Diana, and she's like, what are you doing with that egg? I'm like, what do you mean what am I putting it on the pancake? What else do you do with an egg with a pancake? She didn't understand that. My kids, they understand it. They understand that if we're having pancakes, we're having eggs too. Because how can you have pancakes without fried eggs? <laughs> we can all be heading in the same direction with unity, but coming at it and seeing things from totally different perspectives. And it's okay. Otherwise, we're trying to make everybody the same. You have to think like me. You have to speak like me. You have to see like me. Well, guess what? It's impossible. We all have different functions. We need to make sure we understand that in the body of Christ, in your own physical body, you don't want everybody acting like the heart because you want your kidneys to function properly. Right, Bill? And you want the liver to do its job. You want it to function properly. You don't want the... You know, the eye to say, you know, I look prettier than the liver. Who cares? Long as you're doing your job, I don't care what you look like. All right, let's continue. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And can I just say, those are the ones that we don't see. Those are the ones that aren't prevalent, that aren't on the platform. You know, that don't make a show of themselves. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. Who has? God has. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and that, and that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that awesome? And that's why it's so important that we don't forsake the gathering because we need each other and we need to celebrate each other. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. And remember, he's writing to the Corinthian churches. So he's speaking to churches, but he's speaking to individuals. But he's speaking to the whole body of Christ. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then, givings, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. 
And then he asks this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? And the answer is no. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then as he goes into it, it's talking about love which is referring back to the body, the love that we have for one another. That's what God is after in our lives as individuals. We need to learn to be loved by God. The greatest purpose you have is to be loved by God. And then to when you know that, then you love yourself. And when you know that, you can not only love God, but you can love others. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, please. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll finish this up. You know, it's amazing how God just works things in you. And, and, and as you grow and change and mature, you see things differently. You see scriptures differently. And we're going to get into some of my favorite scriptures here. But I'm telling you, I have never seen them like this before. It's amazing to me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he's writing to the church at Ephesus, but what he's doing is he's comparing the Jewish thought to God's thought and the makeup of the church. And he's letting them know that the Gentiles are part of the body of Christ, members of the same body. And not only that, but partakers of the promises that are in Christ. And then as he goes on, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll turn with me there, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. How I, you know, I'm going to do a study on patience. I want to know how many times he tells us we have to be patient. Or to do something with patience. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another. In love. Hmm. That love theme again. Eager. Everybody say eager. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. In the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. How many Lord? One. One faith. How many faiths? One. One baptism. How many baptisms? One God. How many gods? One. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's not up to us. Jump with me to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And this is speaking of Christ now, after he ascended, or descended, he ascended with gifts. And he's given us these. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, a lot of times we we stop at to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But that he doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there. And he says, for building up the body of Christ. And he continues, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we're to love one another in humility and gentleness with patience, bear with one another in love, build one another up. And then he concludes this starting in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up, everybody say grow up, in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I can't tell you how many times I have read this and missed that. Missed the last part. So that it builds itself up in love. So whatever part of the body you belong to, you know what one of it is? One of your responsibilities, one of your functions is to build up the body in love. We're many members, but we're one. And our responsibility is to let God love us and then love God in return and love others out of both of those truths. And I want to remind you and encourage you again. It's not only okay to be different. We need to learn to celebrate those differences. While at the same time, learning to love one another. Amen. Let's pray. And then we're going to receive communion. Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. We thank you for calling us as one body, though we're many. Father, you have called us together. You've placed us. And Father, I pray that we would learn to function in the way that you designed for us to function. That we don't try and insist that everybody see it our way. They think our way. They speak our way. They think our way. Father, that's not what you're about. You're about 
allowing us to be different, to be diverse, and yet understand the number seven. And Father, I pray that through all of this, you will teach us to build each other up through our lives into love. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen.